What a great worship so far this morning. Just worshiping the name of Jesus. Um, let's keep worshiping the name of Jesus as we hear his word proclaimed to us this morning. And so if, uh, if you're new with us, my name is Steve Wilkinson. I get to be uh, like the student and connection resident here at Harbor Heights. Um, I want to explain what a resident is. Um, but uh, just so thankful for Brandon, that Pastor Brandon, that he gets to get some time um, off this week just to get some rest with him and his family. Um, he does so much for us. And so I just encourage you just to, if you have time this morning, um, this afternoon, just take time to pray for Brandon as he leads his church, as he leads his family. And so um, if you are, um, this is your church home. We're so glad that you're here this morning to worship with us on New Year's Day. And so this morning, we're going to, in between sermons, we're jumping right in the middle of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 7. And so if you have a Bible with you, I hope you do. Luke chapter 7, go ahead and turn there. Use the table of contents if you need help. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. Luke 7, 36 through 50. And so I want to start off this morning with, with asking us a question. What does it look like for us to love Jesus? What does it look like for us to love Jesus? Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, he gives us what he says is the greatest commandment that there is. He says, love the Lord your God. Love God with all, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. And so what would it look like? What does it look like to love God with all? of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, pretty much to love God with all of ourself. Just imagine right now what it would look like to love something like that. Like nothing else would capture your heart like that one thing that you love with all of yourself. Nothing would compete with your devotion to that one thing, right? Just take an Alabama football fan. Those guys are fully sold out to their team. They're devoted to their team. And they love their team. <laughs> Until they lose to Tennessee, right? I'm just kidding. In a, but in a much greater way, in a much greater way, Jesus, he commands this type of love and devotion from his followers. He's saying, love me with your whole being. Be sold out to me. Love me more than you even love your own life. Follow me. Let me be your greatest joy and treasure. And this isn't like Jesus is putting a heavy burden on us. This is for our good. God has created our hearts for this type of love and worship with him. And so us loving Jesus is, is us needing him and desiring him more than anything else in this world. Us loving Jesus, what Jesus is calling us to, is to need him and desire him more than anything else in this world. And so this leads me to the ultimate question that I want to ask us this morning. Why should we love Christ like this? 
Why should we love Jesus like this? Is he worthy of all of our love, all of our devotion? Is he worthy for us to love him more than we even love our own life? Is he worthy for us to boast in Christ alone? Why should we love him with all of ourselves? Because let's be honest. There's so many things in this world that fights for our devotion to Jesus. There's so many things that that pull our eyes off of Christ, that fights for our love for Jesus. And this looks different in all of our lives. I struggle to love myself more than I love Jesus every single day. We, We struggle to love our money, our investments more than Christ. We struggle to love sin more in the moment of temptation. When temptation arises, we love that sin more than we love Jesus because of what sin will offer us in that moment. We love comfort more than we love Jesus. What fights for our devotion to Christ, it looks different in all of our lives. And even for some of us, Hard seasons can rob us of our love for Christ. Jesus, where are you? Why are you not answering me? Can steal our love for Jesus. So we must ask ourselves, is denying all things to follow Jesus, Jesus, is it worth it? Is it worth giving him all of our devotion? Is obeying him out of love, is it worth it? And so today I want to plead with us. I want to plead with you from Luke 7 that it is worth it. That it is worth spending our lives to boast in Jesus alone. It is worth it to give Jesus all of our love and all of our devotion. And so my hope is, my hope is that if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, that we will be encouraged. We will be encouraged to keep following Jesus, to keep trusting in Jesus, to keep giving Jesus all of our love, all of our devotion. Or maybe you're a follower of Jesus here today and and you need help to refocus back on Jesus. You need help. And my hope, and I've been praying for you, that you will put your eyes back on Christ and you'll see him as far greater than anything else in this world. If you're not a follower of Jesus, my hope Or if you're unsure of that, my hope is that today you will see that Jesus, he's worth giving my life to. And so let's do it. Let's dive into Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. God's word says, "Then, Then one of the Pharisees invited him, Jesus, to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman And that town, who was a sinner, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. And Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He says, say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. 
One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. And turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so right from the start, we notice that there's two people in the story who are encountering Jesus. We have a Pharisee named Simon, and we have a woman who is known around town as a sinner. And so what I want us to look at this morning is to look at the difference between Simon and this woman and and how they react in their encounter with Jesus, because they both have two different experiences with Jesus. Simon, he ultimately rejects Jesus, but the woman loves Jesus much, and Jesus tells us why. And so let's start with Simon, because because Simon is a Pharisee, this, this means we can make some assumptions about Simon. Pharisees, they were the religious leader during this time among the Jewish culture. Um, they were Jesus's greatest human enemies. They continuously tried to trap Jesus so they could bring accusations against him because they wanted him dead. They did not like the, the good news that he was proclaiming. They, they did not like him proclaiming to be the son of God. And so Simon, he invites Jesus over to his house for dinner. Most likely, because we can tell from the rest of this text, we we saw it played out, most likely to question Jesus, probably to figure out for himself who this Jesus guy really is. But he came in already with strong doubts against Jesus. And what we end up seeing is, is Simon's heart. We see his unlove for God and we see his unlove for God compared to this woman's love for Jesus. And so we'll we'll come back to Simon. And so enters the woman. So Jesus goes to Simon's house. He's reclining at the table. In verse 37, this woman hears that Jesus is there. So she goes to the party and she brings a a jar of perfume and she walks into Simon's house. Now, some context here, because if you're like me, it's kind of weird, right, that this woman just walks in Simon's house. Nobody says anything to her. But this would have been normal in that culture. It was a a public culture. And so um, this was a dinner party. And so Simon's doors most likely would have been open and people, anybody would have been free to wander into Simon's house And so this is what this woman did. She walks into Simon's house. Now, let's recognize this because this is key right here. 
This woman is known as a what? She's known as a sinner around town. And what is she about to do? She's about to walk into a Pharisee's house. And Simon knows that she is a sinner. And there's probably other Pharisees there too, maybe. So she's about to walk into a home that she is not welcomed in because the Pharisees, they were known not to be friends with people they believed were sinners. They are not worthy. We even see the the criticism the Pharisees had of Jesus in verse 34 of this same chapter. Look at it in your Bible. Verse 34 They called Jesus a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And this was not a compliment. This was criticism. Luke chapter 5, verse 27 to 31. Jesus, he calls a tax collector to follow him, Matthew. And tax collectors were seen as enemies in this culture. They were taking their own people, the Jewish people's money, and they're giving it to uh, the Roman um, government that they believed uh, oppressed them. And then Tax collectors even pocketed money for themselves. So these tax collectors were seen as great enemies and great sinners. And Jesus calls the tax collector, Matthew, to follow him. And he goes and he dines with Matthew and a bunch of his friends. In verse 30, the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You claim to be people of God. And yet you're eating with these people. They're not worthy of God. This is the type of judgmental crowd this woman is walking into. No love, no grace for her whatsoever. But, but Christ is there. Jesus is there. And so she goes and she will not let these People stop her from worshiping and showing love to her Savior. Her identity is no longer found anymore in what these people think of her. Her identity is now found in Jesus and what he thinks of her, what he claims that she is. And so just a side note, when you are in Christ, your identity is no longer found in what people think of you. What you think of you, what the world says, your identity is now found in who Jesus says you are. So find hope in that. And so she goes into this party and verse 38 says she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. So this woman, she's sitting there, she's weeping at the feet of Christ. Like, let's not blow past this. We've read the story many times, maybe. Don't blow past what this woman is doing. She's at the feet of Jesus, and she's weeping. She's letting it all out. She's washing his feet with her tears and her hair. She's kissing his feet. She's anointing his feet with perfume. You don't do this to just anybody. You don't do this to an enemy. You don't don't do this to somebody who cares nothing for you. No, Jesus has done something for this woman. 
He has done something for her to cause her to show him this great emotion and this great love that is just pouring out of her. Jesus has done something and he tells us what he did for this woman. Verse 47, he says to Simon, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. What has Christ done for her? He has forgiven her of all her sin. That's why she loved Jesus much. And that explains her actions towards Jesus. And so this woman, her, her heart loves Christ. And not because of anything that she has done, but because Jesus has loved her has graciously forgiven her of all her sins. But Simon, Simon's heart is cold towards Christ. And it's cold towards this woman. He, he sees her tears, he sees her weeping, and he shows her no grace. He cares nothing for her tears. And he doesn't even question, what has this guy done for her? Why is she weeping at this guy's feet like this? He doesn't even question that. Instead, he judges Jesus. He judges this woman. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, saw this woman weeping, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. He already knows this woman is unworthy because of her sin. She's not worthy to be touching a teacher of God's law. This woman, she has no hope in the eyes of Simon. And so here you have Simon elevating himself over this woman. He's even elevating himself over Jesus. Like, I know she's a sinner. And this man, he's supposed to be a prophet. He doesn't even know. He's thinking he loves God more than she ever could. In his eyes, he is righteous. He doesn't need Jesus to save him from his sins. If he, he has God's law, he, he's, he's able to keep the law to be righteous before God. He doesn't need Jesus. And see it this morning. This type of belief by Simon led him to completely miss Jesus. Simon completely missed Jesus. Here is God in the flesh at his table right in front of him. And he misses it completely. Simon's a Pharisee. He, he knows the scriptures. He should know God. And yet he completely misses God. He doesn't believe he needs Jesus. He's not worthy of all his love and devotion above all other things. And because he misses out and because of this, because of this, he misses out on enjoying Jesus. He misses out on enjoying Christ's grace and mercy. He misses out on being loved by Jesus. He misses out on being forgiven of all his sins and saved by Jesus. 
He misses out on loving Jesus, which is what all of our hearts are groaning for. It's what our hearts have been created for, to love Christ and to be loved by him. And so don't miss out on Jesus like Simon. Don't miss out on Jesus. Like, don't do it. Don't miss out on Jesus this morning. Don't miss out on him this week. And don't miss Jesus for the rest of your life. Like, then don't let the things of this world keep you from missing Jesus. Because the things of this world won't last. So do you believe Do we believe that we need Jesus because of our sin? Do we believe we need Jesus in his grace to live? Do we believe we need Jesus to sustain us, to give us hope, to give what our hearts long for? Because if we don't believe we need Jesus, then we'll miss loving Jesus. Even as followers of Jesus, if we get to this place where I don't need Jesus anymore, I don't need Christ anymore, then we will miss loving Jesus, giving him all of ourselves. This is because what, what sparks our love for Christ is because he has come and he has saved us from our sins. He has saved us from death. And only he can do that. Only he can do that. And he is sustaining us. And he is sanctifying us. And he will bring us to glory, Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can bring us to complete glorification. We never stop needing Jesus. But it's not only that Jesus saves us, but also why he saves us. He does it because he loves us. He does it because he loves us. That's why his love and forgiveness is gracious. It's a gift. See it in the parable that Jesus tells Simon. Verse 41. So knowing Simon's judgmental thoughts... He asked Simon a question to reveal his sinful heart to him. Verse 41, Simon, a creditor, had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So you have two people here who are in debt to this one person. One owes more than the other. Now, notice how it says they could not pay back their debt. They couldn't do it. They were completely hopeless. They needed help, right? Either they get help or they most likely go to prison because they cannot pay back their debt. And so who helps them? The very man they are in debt to. The very man they owe money to forgives them. The the creditor forgives them both. Why? What is his motive for forgiving them? It says in verse 42, he graciously forgave them. Not only did he forgive them, he graciously forgave them. Grace is receiving something that you don't deserve. Jesus 
has come to graciously forgive us from all of our sin. This is the gospel that we've all been created by God to enjoy him, to live for him, to obey him, to follow him. But we have all, every single one of us, has turned from God. We don't want to live for God. We want to live for ourselves. And the Bible calls this sin. And this sin has separated us from God. And our sin has made us unholy and unclean before God. And God is holy and righteous and perfect. And we cannot enjoy, we cannot be in the presence of God. We can't have a relationship with God in our unholiness, in our uncleanliness. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. But as the one who called you is holy, God, you also are called to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And so our sin demands a payment. Our sin demands a payment. And there is no way that you or me or any one of us can make that payment ourselves. That's the worst news of the Bible. The bad news, we're separated from God in our sin. The worst news, there's nothing me and you on our own can do about it. We are like the two debtors in this parable. We owe a payment and we cannot pay it back. But... This is the good news of the Bible. This is the good news. Jesus, God in the flesh, has come himself. The very one we owe this debt to has come himself to graciously forgive us our sins. We owe God a debt for our sin and he has come himself to pay it. Like that's the good news of the gospel. That Jesus, he being God in the flesh, has the power Jesus has the desire to forgive us of all our sins if we trust him to do this work by faith. Verse 47, Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Verse 48, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Jesus forgave this woman and her sins. And the people who heard this question, who is this guy who forgives sins? Who is this guy? In another story of the Gospels, in Mark chapter 2, four friends lower their paralytic friend, paralytic friend from a roof to get him in front of Jesus so that Jesus could heal their friend. And when, Mark, um, when Jesus saw their friend, he said to him, son, your sins are forgiven and Mark chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, the Pharisees in the room said, why does he speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And the Pharisees, they had it right here in a sense. But this is where the Pharisees missed it. This is where Simon missed it. And this is where I hope that me and you do not miss it like this woman. This woman, she knew and believed that Jesus is God, that he is the promised Messiah and that he has the power to forgive and the desire to forgive the sins of all those who come to him by faith. This is the work that Jesus did on the cross. He came sinless, went to the cross, took all of our sin on himself, made that payment, was buried in the tomb, and then he rose three days later victorious. 
He rose from the dead, defeating sin, defeating death. So now we, me and you, we have hope. We have good news. We have something to rejoice in because all those Jesus promises, all those who come to him by faith, you trust in what Jesus has done on the cross for you, for you to be saved and forgiven. Not anything you can do in yourself, but all of what Jesus has done, that you will be forgiven of all your sins. You will be saved. Verse 50, Jesus looked at this woman and said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And this is good news here. Why did Jesus forgive us of our sins? First, first Peter 3.18 for Christ also suffered for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring you to God. Christ has come to bring us to God. Our heart's greatest need and desire. We cannot do this work on our own. This is why we need Jesus. And this is why we desire Jesus to bring us to God. We need Jesus. Do you believe you need Christ? Even as followers of Jesus, we daily need Jesus. Has, has this news stopped being good news to you? Would it, would it make sense? For us to hear the good news of the gospel, what Jesus has done, we rejoice in it in the moment we trust in it. And then we, we put it aside because, oh, I've already rejoiced in it. It's, I've already celebrated it. There's no reason to keep rejoicing in it. No, that makes no sense. This is good news. To always be rejoiced in. And maybe you need Christ to help you to always rejoice in that good news. Jesus has come to serve us our need for a Savior. The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. He's still serving us today. He's still interceding for us today on behalf of God. Jesus asks this question to Simon at the end of the parable. Out of the two people who have been forgiven, remember that one owed more than the other. But both have been graciously forgiven. In verse 42 through 43, Jesus then asked Simon, so which of them will love him, the, the forgiver, more? And Simon answered, I, I suppose the one he forgave more. And Jesus says, you have judged correctly. In verse 44, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who has been forgiven little loves little. And so this is the point I think Jesus is getting at here with Simon. Simon thinks he loves God more because he's self-righteous. He can keep the law. He obeys it, he thinks. He teaches people about God. He thinks he loves God more than this sinful woman. She's not even worthy to touch a godly person, let alone be loved by God. 
But Jesus tells Simon, actually, this woman loves me more. This woman actually loves me more because in, because she believes in me. She knows me. You don't know me, Simon. And because you don't know me, you don't know God. John 8, 19, Jesus says, if you knew me, you would also know my father. To not know Jesus means to not know God. This, this woman, she showed showed her love for Jesus through her actions. Simon, Simon showed his non-love for Jesus in his unactions. Simon did nothing. Simon did nothing for Jesus that in their day would be considered a good host. He didn't provide Jesus water for his feet to wash his dusty feet from wearing sandals in a dusty terrain. He, he did not offer Jesus a kiss that was normal in that day. He did not offer Jesus oil to freshen up his hair and his, his face from, again, being in the dusty terrain. Simon did not love Christ. He missed Jesus because he did not believe in him. Because he didn't believe he needed him. Therefore, he thinks, Jesus, this guy, he's not worthy of my love and devotion. He missed a relationship with God right in front of him. Jesus said in verse 47, the one who is forgiven little loves little. Jesus is, I don't think he's saying that bigger sinners who are forgiven love him more than little sinners who are forgiven. Because the reality is all of our sin is great. All all are spiritually dead in our sin apart from Christ. And Jesus' payment for all of our sin was costly. No, I think forgiven little it is pointing to people who don't think they need Jesus because their sin is not that bad. I'm not that bad of a person. I don't need Christ. Simon, he didn't see the seriousness of his sin. He didn't see how much he, he needed Jesus. Therefore, he didn't love Christ. He didn't desire Christ. And if we believe that Jesus is, is only a supplement to our lives, like we can add him and our lives become a little bit better, but without him, we'll be okay. If we, we, if we believe that Jesus is only a supplement to make our lives a little bit better, to make our lives a little bit easier, then Jesus, he will not be our greatest treasure in life. He just won't. We won't love Jesus or worship Jesus like this woman loved and worshiped Jesus. This woman, she believed that Jesus was worthy to have, she believed that Jesus was worthy to have all of her love because he graciously saved her from her sins. And if we, if we are going to believe that Jesus is worthy, which he is worthy, if we're going to believe and trust that Jesus is worthy of all our love and devotion, then we must believe in Jesus. We must believe that we need Jesus. And we must believe that he saves us from our sins. And that he sustains us and he saves us and he will save us. So see the picture here. Keep believing in Jesus. Be encouraged. Keep believing that you need Jesus. 
Keep trusting that he is with you now and he will be with you forever and ever. This is our hope. And let this ignite and let this keep aflame our love and passion for Jesus. Don't grow bored of the gospel. And we will love Jesus greatly. We'll love him greatly when we see the seriousness of our sin. And we see how beautiful it is that Jesus has come to graciously save us. Nothing in this world will satisfy like Christ. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? He is worthy. He's worthy of our greatest desire. He's worthy of our, our, all of our devotion, to love him with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our mind. He is worthy. Do we believe that Jesus is worthy this morning? And so I just want us to take a f- couple minutes between us and the Lord. And just everybody, just bow your heads with me, close your eyes. Um,